0: thank you Randy we've been talking over the past several weeks about prime directive that is what is the most important command what is the most important thing in our lives it's I think it is the providence of God that in our Barnabas class we're also going through the purpose-driven life what is our purpose Jesus answered when he was asked the question What is the one greatest commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. In this place, the conversation is turned around. That's the way Luke tells it anyway, by inspiration. And it is out of order chronologically as it appears in the other Gospels. But there is a twist in this story. This lawyer stands up and asks what is important. What can I do to have life? That I may live eternal life is what he's talking about. And Jesus, because the law was given to bring us to conviction that we could not be perfect and we could not totally obey the law, ask him, what does the law say? And, and he answered correctly. But I have an idea that when he said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself I think Larry that he sort of put said check I've done that and there and there was this sense of self-satisfaction but he asked a question and that question is not recorded anywhere else in the gospels he said and who is my neighbor and guys, I really, I think he thought, I'll get another check mark. Because I got that figured out. I know who lives next to me. I know who my friends are. I know who my neighbors are. And I think somewhat pompously he asked, and who is my neighbor? I think that when he got the answer that Jesus gave, I think it shocked him out of his shoes. He was not expecting at all what Jesus had to say. You know, we're told the story then. Jesus answered with a question, but it was a very long question because he told the story and the question became, came at the end. And it involved two religious leaders just like this lawyer. And Charlotte, they failed the test miserably. They failed the test. If they failed the test, the question for us today is, will we pass that same test? Do we know who our neighbor is and do we really know what it's like to love our neighbor as ourselves? How do you do that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, first of all, we have to quit just trying to justify ourselves. We have to quit trying to make excuses and to come up with an idea that, yeah, we're taking care of everything we're supposed to do. We're doing it perfectly. We need to quit trying to make excuses and justify ourselves. It says, He desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor the natural answer to that question is well everyone the problem with that is if everyone is your neighbor you will probably actually respond to the needs of no one Tom turn this on and I'll see if I can do this It takes too long to put it on. Okay. If it's everyone, if everyone is my neighbor, it's sort of like saying it's everyone's job. And what happens when it's everyone's job? All of a sudden, it's no one's job. And if we say, well, everyone is my neighbor, that sounds real spiritual. That's probably what he was doing. Everyone is my neighbor. Yeah, okay. So here's the story Compare what you're doing to the story I've just told. Uh, And how many of us would pass the test of who a real neighbor is? Listen, we need to stop making excuses for not dealing with other people in a loving way. Everyone may be our neighbor, but that also means that someone is my neighbor. Someone is is my neighbor. And we need to quit justifying ourselves by saying, well, I didn't really see, or I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I just love everyone. Listen, that love that he's talking about in loving your neighbor as yourself is more than just emoting. It's more than just a feeling inside. It is a commitment to actually do something for your neighbor. Not only must we quit trying to justify ourselves and make excuses, we need to open our eyes to genuine needs. Open our eyes and see, recognize genuine needs. Now, I recognize that it's not always, I I, I understand, it's not, not always easy to recognize genuine needs by false re- from false request, you you understand that I lived in Africa for a dozen years. Not only did I live in Africa for a dozen years, but I lived and worked I, I worked in let me back up. I lived in Nairobi, but I worked in the largest slum of all of sub-Saharan Africa where 250,000 people lived in mud and tin shanties in just over one mile, one square mile, one mile radius. You, You can't imagine that without seeing it. And when you see that kind of poverty all the time, you get overwhelmed with the needs, and it's sometimes hard to recognize the real need. To recognize what is the genuine need, that is the need that stands out above everything else. Because everyone has a need. And that's true around us. There are needy people all around us. Who do you help and how do you recognize the genuine need? Well, in this case, in the story that Jesus told, it was not hard to recognize the genuine need says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. Now, we don't know who the man was. Was he a Jew? Was he a Gentile? Was he rich? Was he poor? Was he young? Was he old? He was obviously a man, probably a businessman, probably a small businessman because he was traveling, probably a Jew because he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, but that's not the point of the story. That's why Jesus did not say, Tom, turn me up or the monitor's up just a little bit. This microphone's different. Um, That's not the point of the story. It's not who he was that was the issue. It was what the people who would come along would do. By the way, he was also in a very dangerous place. He was on the road to Jericho. Jericho was... lies about 17 miles from jerusalem but in that 17 miles you drop 1800 feet of elevation that's a pretty steep decline not only that but because it is a desolate area a rough area but well traveled means a lot of travelers go through there but it's a rough area with a lot of cliffs and a lot of caves perfect places for thieves and robbers to hide and there were many of them in that day. Josephus, the historian, records that when Herod finished building his temple, there were 40,000 laborers that were suddenly out of work, and a good number of them became thieves and highwaymen. So it was not unusual that this man would come on that road and would fall into thieves and be injured. But notice those robbers stripped him, beat him and left him half dead. There is no doubt about the need. That is a genuine need. Somebody comes to you they're looking for money. Many times people, my wife says I have a sign on my forehead that says ask me for help. And so a lot of times people, you know, w- will come to me and they're asking for gasoline for their car I just need to put some gasoline in my car and I always tell them bring your car I'll put gasoline in it well the trouble is most of them don't have a car they want the money that's not a genuine need I I don't know what they're going to do with the money if if they have a real need I'll put gasoline in their car that's not an advertisement for you to ask me for gasoline by the way The genuine need. He he was laying there beaten and half dead. So along then comes a priest. By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We need to open our eyes to the genuine need around us. Listen, there are people around you that are hurting and needy. They may not be beaten down on the side of the road, but there are people who are grieving. There are people who are emotionally troubled. There are people struggling with addictions. There are people struggling financially. There are young people out of work who would like to work. There are all kinds of needs around us, And we need to open our eyes and see the people with the real needs. The priest, who should have been one of those who would do so, he saw the need. He saw him, but he passed by on the other side. So likewise, that means just the same way. A Levite, now understand a Levite was almost a priest. Well, sort of. He... The Levite tribe was the tribe in Israel uh, from which the priests came. They had to be of the lineage of Aaron. But the rest of the tribe, the rest of the Levites were the ones who worked in the temple and helped out in the worship of the temple. He should have been very spiritual. He should have known the Lord. He should have known the law. He should have known what to do. But when he came to the place and saw him, now something that does not show up in the English translation, is a grammatical construction that that most scholars say that he actually stopped and looked and he may have even drawn closer than the priest did. But he still did nothing. He crossed to the other side and passed him by. But then the Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, he also saw him. All three of them saw the need, but they didn't recognize the need or they didn't care. The difference is he had compassion. Listen, we have to recognize the needs of people around us and have compassion on them. We must not close our eyes to what God wants us to see. He uses those opportunities to grow us. He uses those opportunities to show the love of Christ to other people. May we be moved with compassion for whoever God puts in our way that we need to help. And may we not pass On the other side, ignoring what we've seen and ignoring the person that God specifically put in our way. And in fact, I'm talking about how do we show the love of God to our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? We must recognize providential opportunities providential opportunities. That is, God did this on purpose. This is not an accident. In the verse it says, now by chance a priest was going down that road. That does not mean it was good luck or bad luck. It means that it was what God intended. It just so happened. It happened that. I think King James probably said, says, it happened that. That may even be a better translation than by chance. Because I don't want you to think that it was luck, either good or bad. God put the man on the road and put a priest on the road to see the man. But he missed the opportunity that God gave him. The same thing is true of the Levite. The Levite came along. And it says, likewise, same way, God is in this. Likewise, a Levite came along and saw him, but passed by on the other side. How many times, if we would be honest, how many times have we been put in a position and it was an appointment from God? And we've passed by. Somebody we could have helped. Somebody we could have counseled. Somebody we could have encouraged. Somebody we could have fed. I, I've made a rule and I've I've said that around here because we have pantry day Wendy and we're we're giving out we're giving out food. And if if someone comes and asks me for money, I will not give them money. But somebody comes to me and says, I'm hungry, I'm going to feed them. That That's different. How many times have we shied away, looked away, been afraid, and instead of saying, you know, we've said, well, I don't have time. You know, there was a time in Kenya, we were driving to a new church on the other side of town, and... We were going through an area of town I was not familiar with. We got into a bit of traffic. Traffic was backed up and going slow, and I soon found out why there was a dead body lying on the side of the road. Now, that probably would shock you as an American, but unfortunately in Kenya we saw that all the time. That was not unusual for there to be a dead body lying on the side of the road. What had happened, we could see very clearly, he was the driver or the, or the puller. He was the motor of a mkokoteni m- which is a giant hand cart. Uh, it's like an ox cart, but it's pulled by a man instead of an ox. And he, it was obvious because the thing was knocked sideways in the road. He had been hit by a car. He was laying there in a puddle of blood, motionless. And I said, he's dead. Everybody was just going around him, driving by. And we crawled by because of the traffic and because of the huge crowd that was standing there, standing back actually away from him and away from the traffic. And as we drove by, Brenda said, he moved. I said, what? I said, Lynn. Brenda said, Lynn, he moved. And I said, no, Brenda, he's dead. I saw him. He's dead. No, then, he moved. Stop! So I stopped the car. When Brenda says stop, you stop the car. And I got out of the car. Now, that doesn't mean a thing to you, but you need to understand that in Kenya, when something like that happens and there's somebody injured or dying or dead, the rule is you do not stop, because it might be presumed that you're the one that hit them, especially if you're a foreigner. You become the, the prime suspect. And in Kenya, they deliver mob justice. That means if you hit somebody and they can get their hands on you, they will beat you probably to death on the spot. And so the embassy tells every one of their employees, you never stop for an accident. Go to a police station, but you never stop for an accident. You probably will be killed. I just stopped the car. I just got out of the car. I walked around to the man, and everybody is standing back from him. I'm not really sure why. But when I stepped up to him... And I spoke to the crowd in Swahili and asked them, What happened? Who is this? Why is no one helping him? What's going on? They crowded around me. And I got down and began to try to find out what's wrong with him, examine him as best I can there on the street in a puddle of blood. By the way, I should mention to you who would understand this, this was at the height of the AIDS epidemic in Africa and you're not I'm not supposed to be touching a bloody person but I'm, I'm down there examining him and so I asked where's the nearest hospital they began to try to give me directions and tell me where I started I, I told Tim my son who was like this then open the back door of the trooper by the way, that means, Aaron, I just invited my son out of the safety of the car into the middle of this crowd. And he's opening the back door. I'm trying to pick the guy up, and a couple of guys shoved me out of the way and, and grabbed the man and put him in the back of my Isuzu trooper, and we took him to the hospital. By the way, just so you understand, the rule that I'm talking about, you don't stop in what's presumed. While I was inside, taking the man inside, Brenda and Tim were still sitting in the car and a couple of guys came around, walked around the car three times, looking at the car, looking to see where the dent was because it was presumed we had hit him. Brenda explained to them, again in Swahili, no, we picked him up on the side of the road and brought him to the hospital. They said, good Samaritan. Now, we were late to church. I put myself and my son in danger. But probably saved a man's life. Sometimes loving your neighbor is a lot more practical than you think it is. But it means being willing to be delayed It means being willing to put yourself in danger. It means being willing to invest and do something for somebody else. May we recognize appointments from God when He puts us on a path with someone with a genuine need. If we don't recognize that appointment and do what God wants us to do, we will never, truly love our neighbor. The other thing then is we must willingly offer sacrificial service. We must willingly offer sacrificial service. You know, it says, as a Samaritan, as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I've already said to you, Remember, that doesn't mean just emote. That doesn't mean just saying, oh, this poor guy. It means do something. For goodness sake, do something. And, and this Samaritan becomes an example to us. He gives us six practical examples of sacrificial service. First of all, it says, he went to him. He went to him. I had to get out of the car. You see, I could not I could be no help to the guy who's beat down on the street, hit by a car, knocked unconscious, laying there bleeding. I could be no help to him if I was not willing to get out of the car and go up to him. Too often when we see somebody with a real need, a genuine need, we don't want to approach them. We don't want to be involved. We don't want to get messy. We don't want to be delayed. He went up to him. Then it says, he poured oil and wine on his wounds. Now, by the way, I know that I skipped over um, a, a phrase here, but I'm following this grammatically, and Roger, grammatically, this participial phrase comes before this. And so the next thing he did, he poured oil and wine on his wounds. You say, what in the world is that all about? Well, in that day, most of the medication they had was not something that you swallowed. It's something that they put on you. They poured on you. In fact, the oil was for comfort. And it would help with the pain of the injury. The wine, with its alcoholic content, would... Would cleanse the the wounds. So you wash out the wounds. You pour wine on them for comfort. He did what he could with what he had. Too often we say, "Well, I can't help because I don't know what to do." Do what you know to do. You say, "Well, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't do what you can with what you've got." Sometimes, listen. Expand your mind to the meaning of a real need. There are people around you that are grieving and that are hurting. And you can comfort them because you have grieved and you have been hurt. You can encourage them. You can help them. Then it says, He bound up his wounds. So the pouring on of the oil and the wine is comfort and cleansing. The binding of the wounds refers to uh, reparative, that is, trying to repair the damage to make it good again or fixing it so that it can be healed. It is a healing step. Somebody needs to step into the lives of a multitude of people around us With comfort and with cleansing and with reparation and with healing. But do something. By the way, I said if somebody's hungry, for for goodness sake, feed them. If they're standing in rags, even if you go to Goodwill and get something, clothe them. Listen, love is a practical commitment. And loving your neighbor takes practical, physical steps. It's, just not, it's not just a feeling. Do something. Then it says, He set him on his own animal. Stan, I had to clean blood out of the back end of my trooper when all this was over. And I guarantee you, most of the people who passed in front of me would not be willing to put a bleeding Kenyan in the back of their car. He put him on his own animal. You know what that means he did? Cheryl, that means he walked. He put the injured man on his animal and he walked instead of riding. He made a sacrifice. If you're going to help someone, it has to get down to being personal and it will require sacrifice. It will cost you. Not only that, Putting him on his animal meant getting him out of the area of danger. Sometimes when you see somebody in trouble, what you need to do is get them out of danger. Rescue them from the dangerous position that you're in. You see, they were both still in the, in the robber zone, in the, in the way of the highwaymen. They could have been attacked at any point. Now, Pam, he could have used that as an excuse to just keep going. That's what the priest did. That's what the Levite did. But he removed the person from the position of danger and brought him to an end. By bringing him to an end, he took him to a place where he could get help, to a place of safety. If you see, if your neighbor comes to you, and she really is your neighbor, and she's beating on your door... In the middle of the night and her husband is abusing her don't turn her away rescue her from the danger and get her to a shelter for a for battered women so that she can find a place of safety you say i don't think i ought to get involved if you were that woman beating on the door would you want somebody to get involved Rescue those in danger. Take them out of the place of danger and get them to a place of safety. He even went further than that. He took care of him. He took care of him. You see, the inn that he took him to brought him to an inn. That was not a part of the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture was the inn like Joseph and Mary were trying to find a place. It was a caravan, a place for, for the caravans to say. I start to say a caravan park, that means an RV park, and that's not what I mean at all. Um, it, it's, it's a place where the caravans of camels and pack animals and travelers could go in in, in mass. But this Greek inn is a, an inn like the old Route 66 hot, motels where you got a series of little cottages with the office somewhere in the middle. That's the way those inns in the Greek culture were in that day. That means that he took him and he booked a room with the, house, with the innkeeper and he went into the room with him and he tended to his needs. He nursed him to health. Now that's a big sacrifice. That's being willing to to get messy and to get involved. The reason that we don't do things like that is that we don't want to be involved. And I'm sorry, but the reason we don't want to be involved is because we really don't love our neighbor as we do ourselves. And this is what it looks
1: like. You see why I said, must have shot his shoes off. That lawyer. can't imagine when you see a genuine need don't pass by do
0: something do something personal do something
1: practical do something loving our neighbor we must the extra mile because he says and the next day you get that right
0: he stayed overnight stayed until the next day taking care of this, this guy he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You see, he went the extra mile. He did not adopt him for the rest of
1: his life. We're not talking about putting him on salary until he could get out and leave the inn on his
0: own. Us than we're usually willing to do. He expects us to go the extra mile, and that extra mile may be the most expensive to us, but it will always be where grace shines the brightest. Where grace shines the brightest. So Jesus asked the question Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man? Who fell among the robbers he said the one who showed him mercy i want you to notice something he did not say the samaritan you know why because jews hated samaritans they were the evil the despised race and this jewish lawyer could not make him say the samaritan was the one See, he would have identified, he he would rather the priest did that. He would rather be able to say the Levite. And he couldn't make himself say the Samaritan. To our shame, there are many who put us to shame when it comes to taking care of our neighbor, loving them as they love themselves. But the command is the same for us as it was for the lawyer on that day, go and do likewise. Show the love of Jesus Christ. Show that you love your neighbor as yourself
1: by recognizing the need that need. And so I say to you, you want to to you if you're lost
0: you've never been saved you are the man beat down on the road you're the one in need you're the one that's dying you're the one that's perishing and jesus has seen where you are he has
1: done everything that's necessary For you to be saved. Samaritan. Thinking about others who may be watching the video.
0: I don't know where you are. I don't know what your need is. But I know that Jesus is the answer to your need. And you need to come to Him. Some of you need to come for salvation. Some of you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Praise God for the two that were baptized this morning. Some of you need to follow Christ in baptism. Some of you need to move your membership to this church. Some of you have drifted away from God and you need to come back again to Him and to serve Him. Whatever the need of
1: your life, Jesus is the answer I ask you to stand. I'm going to actually
0: kneel here, sit here on the edge of the stage. If God's spoken to your heart in need, this is just a moment of opportunity that we give you at the end of the service. To come, you can pray with me. You can ask for advice or counsel. If there's a commitment that you need to make, if if you need to be saved, come sit with me and let me tell you how to be saved. If you need to come for baptism then come and let me talk with you about that. If if you want to come and make a commitment to membership, that's what this small amount of time is. Let's bow our heads, and I'll be praying. Join me if you would like.